All right, so I'm going to share with you a couple of things I got from the Word this week. And so we're going to keep going through this series for a few more weeks so you have any other opportunities to come to church ready to share a thought from the Word with other people. So we'll go ahead and start. I also read in Numbers. We are in Numbers, as Tim said, in a slightly different place. That's what I read in Numbers 8, 23 to 26. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. And so as we've talked about in this series, we like to uh, set forth a little format, and we call it the SOAP format, so that's an acronym. Rich loves acronyms. I'm not sure I really love acronyms, but this is what we use, right? And so the S is for scripture, the O is for observation, the A is for application, and the P is for prayer. And so the idea is, is if you need to do this is daily, as you're reading the scripture, you can write down the scripture. You can think of an observation. What do I see about that scripture? And then trust God to reveal to you an application of that scripture, and then you can pray about it to the Lord. So here's my observation. God instituted retirement among the Levites. Now, some of us are not approaching retirement age in this country. Some of us probably are. Some of you are so young, you go, what is retirement? Right? But of all the issues we can think of in the world and our culture and our life, one issue that I think every single one of us deals with is aging. Right? We all might have different circumstances, but every single one of us are getting older. As they say, there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. And you can cheat taxes, but you can't cheat death. Right? And we're all aging and headed that way. Now, when we think about retirement, it's kind of a loaded question. And our society has a lot of different views on it, but I find that those views generally fall into two categories that I think are kind of an error. I'll tell you what I mean. The first error is there's this idea that there is no retirement. That you just work and you work and you work and you work at the same level and you work that hard and you continue and continue and continue until it's kind of like yanked out of your hands or you just reach the end of your life. That's one view. And I think that's out of balance. And then another view is you work until at some point you quit. And then it's just vacation and live for yourself after that. And I don't think either of those are what God is really after. I think he has something else here for us. And so we'll walk through that here, but let's get to my applications. My first application is I believe God intends for each one of us to live in seasons. And when we look at this passage, I see very clearly three Seasons of life. Now we could probably break those seasons down into other sub-seasons, but let's just look at sort of the three main seasons. The first one isn't actually mentioned. And that would be anybody who's younger than 25 in this case. Now, is 25 some sort of magic number? Well, I don't know. These days, the kids these days, 25, you're pretty much still a child, right? No, I'm kidding. Kidding, guys. You're not really just a child. But in the time when this was written, adulthood was 
generally agreed upon to be about 15, right? And these days, and even in my family, in my life, I'd be like, my kids are probably not going to be adults at 15, right? But anyway, there's this understanding that 25 is not the point of adulthood. 25 is a point of, in this case, some maturity. So there's sort of this like growing into maturity phase. And during that phase, there's clearly a ramping up of responsibility and training. And I don't think that it was that you made it to 25 in these days and you magically were qualified to be the boss. There was this ramping up and ramping up and this training and apprenticeship and these things going on and this learning. But then at some point, you're 25 and you're able to serve in the temple. And so I think a key from that phase, for any of you who might find yourself in that phase, I know there's a number of you who are in that phase here in this church, would be learn from those who are older. Learn from those who are older. Now, a second phase of life we see here is that, in this case, 25 to 50. And again, I don't think there's anything magic about 50 or 25. But I think there's an idea here that that there is this age window, this time of carrying the heaviest burdens, of working the hardest, of really serving, doing the duty of the service, it says there. There's a load carried. But then sometimes I think, I find myself probably in that window, in that season. And it can be very easy for us to, to make excuses. Say, oh, well, I have a family. Oh, I'm married. Oh, I have all these things. I have a house to care for and a mortgage to care for. We can start to make excuses. But those are the years I think God has set, he set that season there for us to work hard. So that would be my encouragement there. But then I think the third season we see here is clearly after 50. And again, nothing magic about that age 50. And, and, and thinking about retirement, we could call this the retirement phase. And I know retirement, again, is, is a loaded word. But I've been thinking about this a lot as I've, I've watched and, and walked with my parents as they have, quote-unquote, retired here within the past few years. And I so appreciate my parents. And they have they are godly people who have been following Jesus Christ for a number of years. Years, and they have this wonderful view that I think really falls not into either of those categories I talked about earlier where the world gets it wrong. Where they've had this understanding of, oh, we can, con- we can continue to work. We, we could continue to do the things that we're doing, but we have this opportunity to step back and let others serve in certain ways, and yet we're not giving up and going on vacation. We're going to continue to serve. Do you see that here in this passage? It says that last line, they, speaking of people who've retired, they minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. They continue to work, they continue to serve, they continue to invest, but not in the same way. They're not quitting and going on vacation, they're ministering to their brothers. And I so appreciate that in my parents because they've just been very honest and said, you know what? We just can't do the things we used to do. And I see it in their lives and I so appreciate I had this unique experience with my dad this week. Um, I spent a couple of days renovating my kitchen in my house. Now this is not the first renovation project I've ever done. Um, 
And my dad came and helped me, and he's helped me on others. And I was remembering back that 10 years ago, I, we used to live in a, street, in a house, just up the street, a 100-year-old house, and we were renovating that house, and it was far more involved. And my dad came then and, and helped me with that, too. And in that project, we were changing plumbing and building walls and, and bathrooms and doing all kinds of different things. And he was able to help out with pretty much everything. And now, 10 years later... He's not really able to help out with everything. He, his hands shake a little bit and his eyesight is not as good and he gets tired and his, he can't lift heavy things anymore. And, but what I so appreciate is that he was okay with that. And I too could be okay with that and say, huh, he, he could have just said, yeah, I can't do that so I'm not going to come help. Or he could have showed up and said, I'm going to do all the same things I could do, and it probably would have you know, broken my cabinets and stuff because he was so intent on doing what he used to do, but he wasn't able to do it. But he saw that he could come and he could sit, and when there was a chance to help me and, and serve, he could serve, and other times he could sit and talk. Or he could interact with my kids. And I just saw a real picture there of a season at the end of life, at the in the, the latter years of life of saying, hey, there's a different way to serve. And I so appreciate that. And so I think my conclusion is that we, each one of us, because each one of us are going to age, we should not be afraid of aging. We live in a society that's always, oh, you don't want to age, you don't age. I don't think we should be afraid of it. And I don't think we should be afraid of the change of the seasons in life. God has established them, but I think we should embrace those. And so that's one of my encouragements to you. Another application I saw is that I think we can take this passage and apply it to church ministry and understand it. When we minister in the church and we serve together in the church, it really is a team effort. This passage really is about God's community. It talks about the temple. I think we can take some of these principles and apply them to the church. And I think we could say that all church work is not to be done by the adults. There's a role for those who are in that first season of life, and there's a role for those who are in that latter season of life, and anywhere in between. Each group has a role to play. And I I love that our church is cross-demographic. I love it. It's just one of the things, when I think about our church, I'm so thankful to God that we're not just all a bunch of people who are in one tight window of life. That we cross all of the seasons. We used to go into the 80s, right? Back when LC was here, before he moved to Omaha, right? I won't say who the oldest person is, but we have all the ages here. Now, there's a challenge in that, right? Sometimes we say, man, I really would just like to be in a group with a whole bunch of people who are in my exact window of life. And there's a value to that for sure, but we don't have that here. And so there's an effort that's required on each of our parts to say, you know what, I'm going to be invested in this church with people who are maybe not in the same season of life that I am. But you can see from this passage in Numbers that there continues to be an interaction between all of these seasons of life. It's not split into demographics. And so, I would say this, our church, this church right here, needs men and women in all three seasons to lead, to serve, and to build community. And so that's my question to you, is will you do that? Will you be invested in doing this, whatever season of life you're in? Look, we're a church, and we're a church that's really held together by community. We're not the kind of church where you get to show up and just kind of take. We don't really necessarily have a lot to just let you take. 
It's just not who we are. This is the kind of church where you show up and you bring. And that's what it takes. We need men and women who bring to this church. And that is a high call and a challenging call. But something I want to leave with you today is, will you answer that call and will you accept it? So that was the first passage. That was from the, the Old Testament. And then, as Gretchen said, we have been reading in the New Testament as well through the one here. And Mark eleven twenty two to 23 says this. This is a famous verse. Jesus answered them. He said this. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And so my observation from this is, step back and say, wow, there's a lot to unpack here, but there really is power in having faith. There is a power in having faith. But I think a lot of us read this, I read this sometimes, and I really think, does this really mean if I just believe enough, I will receive whatever I want? If I just have enough faith, can I just get whatever I want out of that? So then we could say this, I believe I need a Ferrari. <laughs> right? Or we could be more practical, I really need to be healed from something going on, or I really need a job. I know there's a number of you who are looking for jobs right now. If I just believe enough, if I believe enough for whatever I want or whatever I need, I'm going to get it. Is that what Jesus is saying? That idea, we've heard that a lot, it really makes the core of what we would call a prosperity doctrine. You hear of that health and wealth. If you just have enough faith, you'll get what you want or what you need. But there's a big problem with that. And the problem is that it doesn't really work that way. When we observe it, we go, man, it doesn't seem to work that way. And so I really like to think of this in terms of a little bit of logic and the big, the big word contraposition. Right? You've heard of the contrapositive. So you take something and you say, if A, then B. And we can kind of prove it by saying, if not B, then not A. So if you apply that in this situation, you say, oh, this is what Jesus is saying. You're saying, if you have faith, you get what you want. So if you don't get what you want, you don't have faith. But I don't believe that's really true. And I don't believe that's really true because it must mean that most people have a weak faith or they're not asking because people are still getting sick, people are still dying, people are still losing their jobs, people are still having financial hardships, and people are not getting Ferraris. And I think this can be such a toxic way of thinking. Even just this week, someone in the church here shared about a friend of our church who has struggles with some real chronic illnesses. And she went to a church that taught this kind of doctrine. And they said, we're going to pray and you're going to pray that you're going to be healed from these chronic illnesses. And she wasn't healed. And their response? Well, you didn't have enough faith. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And here's what I mean. The reason we know this isn't what Jesus is saying is because we know that God is sovereign. If he's not sovereign, he's not God. If he's not in control, he's not God. By definition, God is sovereign. We also know he's not just our servant, our Santa Claus, who runs around and gives us the things we want. We know that's not the case. So what did Jesus actually mean? What did Jesus mean when he said this? Well, I think what we need to do is look at the context. 
Let's look at the context of where he said this. So if we go back a few verses into verses 12 to 14, Jesus goes up to this fig tree. You guys may or may not remember this story. Just to kind of give you the summary of the story, he sees, he's walking along with his disciples and he sees this fig tree and he goes up to it because he wants some figs. And there's no figs on the tree. And so the tree is unfruitful and so Jesus curses the tree. Then later on, a few verses later, they come back by the tree and the tree is withered. It's dead. The disciples are like, whoa, what's going on? Well, this is clearly something that we would call an enacted parable. An enacted parable. So Jesus is enacting a parable. He's not just telling a story. He's making it happen. Well, he's demonstrating symbolic meaning by acting. And so the tree clearly represents Israel. Not necessarily the nation of Israel, but really the religious, faith, Jewish system that was established. And then the tree is unfruitful. Well, the picture there is that Israel itself is not fruitful. Israel is not bearing fruit spiritually. And so the withering of the tree is really a foretelling of, hey, there is an impending destruction of Israel, of the religious Israel. And we see that that happens later in 70 AD. Now, the second part, we just go right from this, from verse 14 into verse 15 to 19. And we see Jesus clearing the temple. And we all are familiar with this story. We go, oh yeah, Jesus is righteously angry and he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers. And he does that. He disrupts the merchants in the temple and he makes the religious leaders pretty upset. Like, what are you doing? And again, this is another enacted parable where we see that the the temple really represents the Jewish system of worship. And we see that the merchants, the money changers, really represent a corruption of God's system. They weren't supposed to be there, but they've been allowed in and they were kind of changing the focus and, and turning everything upside down. And so Jesus overturns the tables and that's a picture of discipline. He's saying, you have a chance to repent You have a chance to repent. Will you repent? And we know that they didn't. And so this is followed by then Jesus, these verses here, making the comments about the mountain. Now, in America, we tend to look at this and we think, oh, when Jesus said mountain, he means obstacle. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this obstacle, this this obstacle, this obstacle, an obstacle, whatever's facing me, be taken up and thrown into the sea, right? That's how we think about it. I have a problem. That problem is my mountain. Now I can have the faith to move that mountain. But I don't really think that's what it's saying. We think Jesus said mountain kind of rhetorically or casually. But it doesn't make any sense. This is kind of a prosperity idea. Here he is talking about this religious system and he all of a sudden drops in something about prosperity. I don't really think that it fits. It doesn't fit. So what is the mountain? Well, you've got to catch the key word. This. This mountain. Now this is an adjective. Adjective, one of the things they do is they answer the question, Which? Which mountain? This mountain. Not a random rhetorical this. He's talking specifically about something else he was referring to. Something else he'd been experiencing. So we can conclude in this context that Jesus is referring to the Jewish religious system. Take this mountain. Which mountain? The Jewish religious system. 
Why do I think that's the case? Well, first off, in other places we see that this religious system was referred to as the mountain. The temple was on the mount, the top of Jerusalem. He's standing there near it, says this mountain. Take this mountain and throw it into the sea. We also see from the context he just did two enacted parables about the failures and the destiny of destruction of the Jewish religious system. And then it also follows a little bit earlier in Mark chapter 10. Jesus predicts, he's there, they're headed to Jerusalem and he says, guess what guys, I'm going to go in there and the leaders, the priests, the scribes, they're going to reject me and they're going to kill me. So he's already set up, Mark has already told us, he set this up that, hey, Jesus is talking about the religious system and how it's going to be destroyed. And Jesus reinforces this again afterwards. In Mark 13, I'll read it for you. Jesus, they're back in Jerusalem, they've gone out and they've come back, and as he comes out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I've always loved that as an architect. I'm like, yeah, I would have been like, Jesus, you see these wonderful buildings? Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he reinforces this idea again. And so here's what I think, if we were to sort of reclassify this, what Jesus is effectively saying, I could rewrite this verse, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this ineffective and unfruitful Jewish religious system of worship, one which is not bringing you closer to God, but erecting barriers between you and him, be destroyed. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So I don't think Jesus was talking about our obstacles. He was talking about the Jewish system of faith. So what's the application then? I think it's this. I think there's a couple. One of them is that what Jesus said would happen did happen. And what was that? Well, Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus said Jerusalem and the temple and the religious system would be destroyed. And in 70 AD they were destroyed. And he said the church would be established and would spread the gospel to every nation. And it's happening. It's happening. Someone pointed out to me yesterday, they said, isn't it crazy? This is a crazy idea. Like, who would come up with this idea of the gospel and say, hey, it's going to be spread to all the nations, and yet it's happening. And in fact, I think we're getting closer and closer all the time to seeing that fully fulfilled in every nation having had the gospel shared with it. And that's why we're going to have missions, because we want to be part of that. And so what is our faith? What is faith? Faith is that God keeps and is keeping his promises. Have faith in God. What does that mean? Have faith. God has made his promises and he's going to keep those promises. Second application I have from this is that nothing can stand in the way of God's plan. Nothing can stand in the way of God's plan. Again, in Mark 13.10, Jesus says, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's God's plan. And nothing is going to stand in the way of it. Amen. 
God's plan is to see the gospel preached everywhere. And again, we're getting closer each day. And so with that in mind, my question to you is, where is your faith at today? Do you have this kind of faith? Do you believe that God has made promises to you? And are you holding him to those promises? Say, God, you promised these things. And then are you participating in it? Are you on board with God's plan for getting the good news out? Every single one of us, every single one of us has a sphere of influence and we have an opportunity to take the gospel into that sphere of influence. Are we doing that? Are we ready to do that? Do you want to do that? That's what our church is about and I would hope that you would join with us in that. So those are my thoughts from the scripture this morning. Let's pray. God, as we close the time, I thank you that your word has power, that your word is truth, that your words bring us life. And God, as we even think about kind of the the two topics I shared on today, Lord, and we think about uh, seasons of life. Lord, help each one of us to, to recognize the season we're in and work hard on your behalf. Wherever we're at in that season, whether we're young or in the middle or old, every single one of us is aging. God, we want to be effective workers on your behalf in the season that you have. Help us to even, in this church, show us how we can bring our seasons together and learn from each other and accomplish your mission. Lord, as we think about your mission of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, we want to be on mission as people, as a church. Lord, we think about having faith. God, we have faith. It is a big, crazy thing to think about the good news of Jesus Christ going to the ends of the earth. Lord, we want to have faith to see it happen in our lifetimes, through our lives. Lord, help us, each one of us, to walk in that each day and as we make plans for the future. Above all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And I thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And whether we've been walking closely with you this week or we feel like we've been far off from you this week, God, we know that you are right there with us. And I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to give us the free gift of salvation so that we can be made right with you. And Lord, we look forward to a time when we are going to spend eternity with you. And Lord, when that time comes, we won't need faith anymore. So Lord, this life is our opportunity to live in faith. Help us to live in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.